1: Hey, what's up? It's Allison. Welcome to episode two of the second season of Allison Interviews. If you're new to this podcast, it's exactly what it sounds like. I interview people who I think have extraordinary stories, and every interview is so different because every human being is different with a different story and a different voice. And that's why I really love what I do. I hope that you will enjoy my interviews and maybe ask yourself some of the same questions that I ask my guests. If you've been listening since season one, I want to thank you for continuing to take this journey with me. Today's guest is none other than legendary race car driver, Miss Danica Patrick. Danica is a woman who stands in her truth. And she uses her voice to express her opinions unapologetically. And I really love that about her during our conversation. In this interview, I think she bears her soul and shares her unfiltered opinions on a number of very interesting and unexpected topics. I think you'll be quite surprised. So I hope that you will sit back and relax or do whatever you're doing. Don't fall off the treadmill. (laughs) And enjoy this interview with Danica Patrick. read up on you and I know that you started with go-kart racing as a kid, and it was just something fun that you and your family did as a bonding experience. But when you got to the point where you decided you wanted to make this your career, when was that? And what was the epiphany that made you think, I want to
2: try being a professional race car driver? I don't think it's something that I really hit like a certain point and said, I'm going to try exactly because it's such a progression. Like, I started when I was 10. So it took all of it to get there. But I remember when I was 10, I thought I'd go to college for engineering to learn how to work on my race car. Oh, wow. Like that was my first thought, you know, I, that's what I'll do so I can work on my car. And then I would say probably the next jump was when I was 16 and I moved to England to continue pursuing racing. Uh, I left high school. It was my junior year. I pretty much didn't even go that year. I left halfway through the junior year at uh, Christmas break. And um, I guess at that point in time, it was like, Hey, let's see where this could go. You know, there's a talent, there's an interest. And so I moved to England when I was 16. I lived there for three years without my family. So that was probably the next big jump. And then I came back and I didn't have a ride. Like I I wasn't racing. And, you know, at that point in time, I think a lot of people and I think probably a lot of parents would be thinking, you know, you better get your shit together. And, you know, did you have that moment? Like, what have I done? I left school. Honestly, I didn't. I just always had a lot of. I called it blind faith that it was going to work because like, there's no way it should have, like, I'm not (laughs) from a famous family of racing names. I don't, there isn't some like fallback if I don't make it on my own in racing, it was just me. And so there really was no good reason why I should make it other than the fact that I just really had a lot of confidence that it was going to work out. And I just really believed that if someone gave me a chance, it could really be a big deal and I could do the job and so i stuck with it and then it was when bobby ray hall hired me to drive his formula atlantic car which was one step under indy cars that was probably you know the next thing and then i'd say the next point after that cuz you never know how long stuff's going to last was you know thank god it was four races into my IndyCar career, I had a really, really, really big Indy 500 month and was qualified on the pole and I almost won the race in my first time there. So, you know, I think that, I think those were kind of like the four things that probably are maybe answering your question, but there wasn't uh, the, probably the closest thing is dropping out of high school and moving to England is probably the closest thing to yeah. deciding like, okay, I'm going to make a run at it.
1: Were I, you cognizant in that age group? women don't do this like
2: i'm doing something that women don't do you didn't have that thought no and you know that wasn't the way that i was brought up my dad mm-hmm. didn't teach me to be the fastest girl out there i mean cuz it wasn't that i was the only one sometimes there was another girl out there i mean shoot at first my sister did it too so yeah. it wasn't like a complete l- anomaly it was just more rare so mm-hmm. no no my dad taught me to be the fastest driver and all through my go-karting career No matter how fast I was, and trust me, I was faster than everyone a lot. It was not about being even the fastest. It wasn't about being the fastest girl. And it was barely about being the fastest. It was always about how fast could I go? And so sometimes that meant I was half a second quicker than anybody else because just being fastest wasn't my best. My best was more.
1: So you had an awareness that you were not competing against the other drivers. You were competing against yourself. Yeah. You did your own best.
2: I mean, I think that was a a core value is that it's almost like there's no ceiling on this. Mm -hmm. How far can you take it?
1: And were there naysayers? Was there any bullying, naysayers, any sexism, anything like that that you encountered?
2: I mean, that's such a common question, especially being a girl in a guy's sport, but that's not what happened, you know? but that's good that that's not what happens. I mean, and, and, you know, any amount of it is human. Like, trust me, I mean, living in England and being a teenager with a bunch of teenage guys and having them like gossip or make jokes, or you can tell they're whispering about you Yeah, about being a girl that was about being that age. Yeah. And, you know, maybe part of it was girl, but that's not what I choose to focus on. What I chose to focus on was that, you know, I was at a really pivotal age, teenage years, boys will be boys and this is just human nature if this didn't happen at the racetrack it was happening in school you Good know point. I, I mean so yeah. I, I think that and for all the stuff that happened later on look if someone's pinning me down for something that i've done that they don't agree with it's like yeah but you know they're also talking about me when i finished fourth And Mm -hmm. you know what? They're not talking about guys when they finish fourth. So you can't go off and just like criticize the bad because it seems like they're coming at you because perhaps your gender or something like that. It's like, yeah, but then there's other things are happening too because of it that are great. So it's like, I really, I really have always chosen to focus on the good that came with it and not the bad. And I think it's really given me a really good Non victim mentality, which playing the victim is like an epidemic, you know? And it's also so, so hindering in progress. There's really nothing good that comes from it.
1: Do you think that the age that we're living in now with social media, with cancel culture, that that is this
2: epidemic of victimhood that is going on right now? I think it's just a dangerous place to be. I think that anytime you're focusing outside of yourself is not the right focus
1: agreed. During your career, did you have thoughts of, I'm risking grave injury? I'm risking potential death. Did you ever have thoughts like that? And and if you did, how did you overcome it?
2: It's an awareness, but I don't think it's something that you really think about. It's not something i thought about a lot. And I guess sometimes it's contrast that gives you perspective in hindsight. And so my story about that is when I did the broadcast for the Indy 500, The year after I was finished, which was Mm -hmm. 2019, you know, it was fun. It was was actually a lot of work. And, you know, I'm sitting on this pit road pit box with Mike Tarico, and we do a lot of the pre-race stuff. And then it basically shifts to the booth after that. And we're kind of done doing the majority of the work and the cars were coming down the front straightaway to take the green flag. And I remember I had a bag of apple chips and I was eating them while they were taking the green flag. And I was like having this moment and laughing, going like, this is such a different place to be. But then I remember also going like, they're so crazy. You know, I knew how dangerous it was. Like I had much more, I was able to let it like get into my mind more and into my body and really realize what the consequences were of a bad day of a crash that's just not something that we we really our perception is what creates our reality so you know if i would have had the perception of how dangerous it was maybe it would have changed me as a driver or changed how long i did it or if i did it but i didn't have that perception there's an awareness cuz you know i'm human and i'm not blind sure. but it wasn't something that by any means i put any huge amount of attention on
1: Has there been any type of fear or phobia that you've had to overcome in your life apart from any of that? A hundred
2: um, things that I have to overcome. I mean, I think that you're probably asking in particular to like my job, was there something I had overcome to do it?
1: No, no. I mean, anything. I mean, is, is there anything in your life that you've had to overcome? It could be
2: any type of fear. It could be personal, it could be professional, it could be spiritual. I mean, let's see here. So, I mean, I think I've had to overcome the fear of of not being good enough. I think that was kind of a programming that I got from a young age from a dad and just, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing and I mean, look, if I had to choose a dad that pushed me really hard and got me to where I got to, or have a dad that let me just do whatever I wanted and was not hard on me and just the easy going, they both have consequences. Yes. So I'm happy to get the one that I got, okay. but it doesn't mean that I didn't have something to deal with. And the reality of the human experience is that we all have those. We all get programming from our parents of the way we act and then what we respond to like who we are and what we attract. And it usually one of them's mom, one of them's dad. And so, I mean, that's the norm. Um, They could be your caretaker, some other variations, but generally speaking, that's kind of what happens. And so, you know, my dad pushed me a lot and I just had this sort of narrative in my head that, nothing was ever good enough. And if anyone ever criticized me for, you know, being lazy or not trying hard enough or doing something, I would get defensive for myself and I would get triggered by it because that was a wound, you know, that I wasn't good enough. And that could show up in, you know, perfectionistic ways in work or things like that, or in relationships. So I think that's something that I feel like I've, you know, had to deal with and learn how to take compliments and learn how to, you know, own the good things that I've done and that they are enough, that I am enough.
1: And by Um, the way, that is one of the most common things that I hear. And what's so amazing is that I interview people that are at the top of whatever it is. Right. And I hear that constantly. I think it's just a trait of high achievers just in
2: general. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing. I mean, it's And I think that the more it's talked about, the more we understand. I think that actually the more people understand that you get your patterning and programming from your family, from your parents, generally speaking, and that there's work to do later because it's going to show up. The biggest thing that I feel like I've learned to do my biggest accomplishment, perhaps outside of professionally, personally, is accountability. And just taking ownership for my part in things and that knowing that I attract the kind of reality that I have Mm -hmm. based on my perception, based on my fears, based on my frequency, all of that stuff gives me my reality and that I am, I am the creator. So what we resist persists, you know, so constantly have a fear of not being good enough. You're going to constantly attract people that make you feel not good enough. That reaffirm that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because what we're trying to do is correct the original wound, right? We think, well, I'll prove it to this person that I'm enough. Yes. It never and it that never shows
1: works. up in relationships and romantic exactly.
2: relationships. Exactly. Exactly. My God. So we can't yeah. fix it. It's just a pattern showing itself over and over again to get you to change, to get you to do it different, to get you to see yourself in your part in that pattern. And so that's been a big one. Uh, another one is, you know, I think then the the mom stuff is this sort of abandoning myself or fear of abandonment, which airs on codependency and just like being afraid to be alone. And man, once I goes alone, I was like, wow, there's a lot of empowerment here. But I realized that, you know, the way I would show up would be really, you know, not as empowered and not as confident. And so, so yeah. So I think that, you know, my, most of my big lessons have come personally. I think the lessons in work have been more along the lines of effort and actually, you know what, I'm not going to bullshit around about like, (laughs) oh, you know, you get out of it, what you put into it. Yeah. Sometimes things happen that are wonderful and they're natural and they flow and they just come to you. And you're like, wow, my, what's happening? Like, is this too good to be true? No, you're in flow. You're doing what you should be doing and things do what you should be doing. It's not supposed to be like that, but if you don't know what you should be doing and you're not honest with yourself about doing the things that make you happy, you're out of flow and things don't go as easy. doesn't mean you can't force them. doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you can't force things to be all right, but when things happen really easily and just like tumble in the right direction that's when you realize that you're like, wow, this is in flow. And so it shouldn't be massive, massively hard. And the only time that it takes testing, you'll always prevail through because it's something you're truly aligned with and passionate about. So things don't feel like it feels like the way as opposed to miserable, right? Like in racing in particular, all the challenges that came were the way, like, I was like, Oh, well, okay. So we work through this and then, okay, I just stick with it. And I guess it was just the way, whether it was something accomplishing more or moving out of like leaving the country in high school and never going to prom and all that stuff. It's like, Oh no, yeah. this is the way. And yeah. so once you know what you want, things just happen and it's, and it flows and it shouldn't be painful. There no doubt will be challenges, but your love and passion and alignment for something always carry you through to the point where, you know, it's funny people say now that it seems like I, I don't always do as much work, but then if I were to tell you what I did in a day, it's like, oh yeah, you, you did quite a bit today. It's like, I don't really see the stuff I do as being that much work, you know, I, right. I it doesn't I feel, there. it doesn't feel like it. And it's yeah. funny that you say that. Cause I always say to
1: people, whenever somebody says to me well, I really wanted to do this, but you know, I had to make a living. I always say to people, I don't care where you get your paycheck. If you want to do something, if it resonates with your soul, do it at night, do it on the weekend, join a club, do, you know, like, don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't shortchange yourself because a lot of times if you are in flow with something that you love, it will branch out and resonate to all other areas of your life and you'll be surprised how things will transform.
2: Oh yeah. You can turn, your life. You can turn your you can turn your passion project or something that you do on the weekends into your whole world. And I always feel like the ceiling for things that are your job, but not your passion is, I don't know, we'll just call it like eight out of 10, right? Like you do great things, but you get 10 out it. You actually, there's no ceiling to what happens when you do something you're passionate about. Yes. I mean... Nothing. You, you give me any example of anything that we use in our life, any pattern, anything on the, on app or any, anything that we do. And somebody just like loved something and was like, I need to create a solution here. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I could, or somebody loved to do something. And they're just like, realized they were a great artist. You name it. Everything in our reality came from a lot of, and the best stuff comes from passion. That's the right. Best stuff. When you set out to, when you have the goal of making money, I could almost guarantee you that it's not going to last forever, or it's maybe not even going to be that successful. Or even if it is, it won't feel good because that's right. that, that's not what the human experience in your in your emotions and your heart want. Your heart wants your heart wants something so much more expansive, like money is just energy, you know? So you do something, you pay somebody for it. Like it's just an exchange in energy. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So you do something great and you get money. It's over. It's like, it's so transactional. There's, you know, that's all it is. But you know, when you set the goal to change people's lives, to, you know, inspire people, to give people hope, to make them smile, to, I mean, there's no end to that.
1: There's Absolutely. No it yeah. just
2: expands and expands and expands. Yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. It's funny. I was going to ask you
1: the question that I ask everybody, which is what did you come into this life to learn? And what did you come into this life to teach? But I think we covered like
2: all of that. And then some, well, what do you think it is? Actually, I'm fascinated. What do you think? Are you it serious?
1: Is? Yeah. I want to know what you think. Wow. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I think that kids will be reading books about you. Not that I want to like speed up your, your life, but I think kids will be reading books about you for generations to come. And I think that young girls will be awe inspired and motivated by the fact that you didn't believe in a glass ceiling that you said, Hey, I'm here. I'm arriving. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm good at unapologetically. I think that that will inspire kids for generations to come. I think that you're also so self-reflective that you're able to say, hey, like I have this duality in me. I have this quality where I often don't feel good enough and it's gotten me here. But at the same time, sometimes it can feel hard internally. And I know that this is where it came from. And I know that there's good and bad to it, but I wouldn't trade it. I mean, there's just so, and even what you just said about being in flow and about if you set out to make money, you will just kind of feel like this all the time. Even if you do by sheer force of will make money, something will just feel out of alignment or maybe you'll make it, but it'll slip through your fingers. You won't keep it or something else will go wrong in your life and something just won't feel right. But if you're in flow and you're doing what, what resonates and what, It's like this exchange of energy, like this feels good for me. And it's something that I'm doing for the world. There's no end to what you can accomplish, not just externally, but internally,
2: Mm, right? Absolutely. So that's,
1: I just answered it for you. So there there you go. Well
2: said, well said. It's a (laughs) perpetuation of energy because when your goal is something without that ceiling and it's in relationship, it's in community, then it's like, I believe in frequency and energy a lot. It's like you give and they get something from it, but then you get something from it. Like that's what kind of continues the Mm -hmm. expansion of something versus like I make money and it's like, oh, somebody lost money. Like that's not a perpetuating energy. It's not going to spiral upward, right? Exactly. It it kind of hits those walls, you know, it hits those, hits those thresholds. So yeah, every one of my businesses that I start, whether it's the podcast or my, both of my wine businesses, speaking engagements or any of the things that I do, it's always beyond the money. It's, you know, trust me, if it was about the money, I would have quit some of them a long time ago because I've spent a lot, but it was always been about the long game and always been about it's always about inspiring, because that was the one thing that when I was finishing my career, I was like, man, I feel like I have this really, really special opportunity to be a girl out here with guys and inspire people to do something different and believe in themselves in new ways and not use the social norms as their guidelines. and um, And I was like, I really appreciate that ins- that ability to inspire. And then I was like, wait, there are a lot of inspirational people that aren't race car drivers. I think I can do this otherwise.
1: Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning, As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water, I stir it up, I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So let's talk about your podcast. So your podcast is called Pretty
2: Intense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me about the podcast and why Um, you wanted to do it. Well, the name actually comes from my book. So I had a book called Pretty Intense come out at the beginning of 2018. And it's a three-part book with mental, it's the mind, and then it's food, and then it's fitness in the body. And, you know, it starts with the mind because... Really, what stops us from finishing anything that we want, doing any starting anything that we want, uh, is our mind. You know, we all know what it takes to eat healthy. We all know what it takes to work out or to lose weight, you know, like or get fit or get strong or, you know, build muscles. Like it's not rocket science. Yeah. But it's our mind that stops us from being consistent, from being disciplined, from having that greater goal. And so the mind is where it starts and then it gets into food and talks about the diet. And how I live and eat and then recipes that I wrote and photographed. And then the last part is on the body and then a workout program that I wrote that's 12 weeks. So, uh, so it started with that. And just because I love health and wellness and anything to do with like physical and mental wellness is just my jam. So that then kind of turned into after I I was finishing up, I think we, yeah, we birthed, I mean, this, this idea, you know, really got going at the beginning of 19. So, and it was about, you know, what to do next. And somebody was talking about podcasts were really hitting big at that, you know, really getting going a few years ago. And it was like, you know, and being able to inspire people that way. And, you know, you talk to people and you ask questions and I'm like, I love to talk to people. I love yeah, to ask questions. Totally. I learned that I had to learn how to listen better. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've never done interviews, but I've been interviewed. And my job is to ramble on to give you things to write or to put for something to air on TV. But I learned how to listen, which was a good, um, good lesson. But so the podcast is all about really diving in with people. And I think that it's kind of found its sort of groove. And I didn't necessarily, people ask me, who's this for? And I answered, honestly, I was like, it's for me. I love talking to people. I love learning about people. I love hearing their stories. I want people to feel human, but yet be inspired by all of them. I Mm -hmm. want them to laugh. I want them to, you know, connect with these people. And so, you know, really over time, what it's come down to is me getting into the truth of people and, you know, something that is, I had a sweet friend over yesterday. She's one of my best friends. And she's the one who taught me about kind of being able to see people's truth and speak it. Like I have an ability to speak things and and without um, filter, which can be Harsh, but also, it has a, an initiation to it, or it's inspiring, but it can really be an initiation for someone because sometimes the truth doesn't always feel so good. But uh, really, just unpacking the psyche and unpacking people and really learning about them and asking questions and asking questions that they never would otherwise get. And so, I very much pride myself on the show of hopefully being very prepared and knowing my guests pretty well, and then also asking questions that they wouldn't otherwise get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the most rewarding thing when I get to the end end of the interview, especially if it's someone who does a lot of interviews is that they say, you know, you ask questions that i've never i've never even talked about before isn't that the coolest feeling uh, yeah that's the best you know when you're like wow in all of these years you, you know i'm the one that got half of the interview out of you that you've never even done before, <laughs> you've never gone there before yeah. so um you know you do such a good job too i love these questions oh, that like, i'm sure you get that too and that always feels so good and and so i i really just love that and and i and i believe one of my jobs here is to wake people up and to really kind of be a little bit of an initiator in that spark and to teach people that we're more alike than we are different. And, you know, division is like, Another epidemic right now. I mean, we we are finding and figuring out every possible way for people to divide. It just seems like it continues to compound, and it's such a detrimental process to the human experience because community is literally the foundation of wellness. Like when people are taken out of community, just like when I interviewed Zach Bush, a doctor, when you take a cell out of its cell community, Mm -hmm. it goes rogue or kills itself. Like it it knows what it it's one of the And the same thing happens in the human experience. And we have been put in the worst of positions in the last year and a half to be out of community. But you know what's
1: crazy is that you would think that something like this pandemic would have done this, but instead it's continued to kind of splinter people in terms of, vaccine, no vaccine, masks, no masks. And then it's been politicized and it, it's so crazy. And I don't know if it's social media, but I was speaking to someone the other day and I said, you know, when we needed to eradicate smallpox or the Spanish flu or uh, the Black Plague or whatever it was, mm-hmm. it didn't become political. These were not political issues, this was, we need to work together as one human race to eradicate this pandemic. And it's just unbelievable to me that that is not what has happened here.
2: Right. And I don't yeah. know why. I think there's a really, I feel like one of the big issues is just, for me at least, I'm just even going to seem speak from my perspective, there's so much about it all that's nonsensical. It's like, and so I find the whole thing to be weird like the whole thing's weird. And mm-hmm. so it kind of is like, I don't know. I just, you know, there's there's people that fall on one side or the other really hard. And then there's some people in the middle and I feel like I'm kind of on in the middle-ish and then yeah. just don't really care about it. Like it's literally here to create division. Like I don't even watch the news. Like I don't mm-hmm. watch the news. I don't watch stuff about it. I don't want it in my psyche. I don't want it in my perception. I My reality has been so normal compared to, I'm going to imagine most because I don't perpetuate it. Like I don't, don't worry about it. Like, and I don't feed it. Meaning if someone tells me to put a mask on, okay. I got, there's no point in getting the fight going because if I don't want to wear one, let's say, or if you're wearing one and somebody doesn't have one on, like people, you know, will get upset about that. It's like, you know, every time you give something time and energy, you root it deeper in you, and so it's just about not giving something time. and And it is a fascinating thing. I mean, this will go down as being. I mean, there's a lot of people that have said this is one of the most mismanaged things in the history of the world. Like, sure, or at least one of the misman. I'm not. I don't want to get the words wrong, but it's something like this has been a very mismanaged situation that we've dealt yeah. with. And I think the division ends up coming with the fact that you know having to make. decision for other people like these. That's kind of a lot of what I think is being done here is that it's about other people and it's not about you. you True. True. Kind of like who, why am I here to decide again? Anytime that you put something outside of you, you're looking at it wrong do what's right for you. Like everybody wants to be healthy. And the problem is, is that whether you get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine, the same reason that you're doing either one of them is because you want to be healthy. Good point.
1: So in your perception, you're doing what you think is the healthier, safer thing to do. Yeah, yeah I get it. So if you could travel back in time and bear witness to or have an effect on any famous historical event in history where would you go and what would you attempt to change or even just bear witness to in the flesh
2: hmm you know i always feel like when like when i think of these things i'm like i just want to know i want to like go back to jesus and see how that really went and like be there for it and see what happened and But, you know, I have such a deep fascination for Egypt and for Egyptian mythology and for the ancient times of the pyramids. And I would really want to go back to how the pyramids were built and who built them, who used them. How were people living back then? Like, what was the technology used, you know, to be able to see were there really giants? Was it extraterrestrial? was this anti-levitation or gravitational technologies that they had back then that we just decided to not use anymore. I don't know. I mean, I would just love to see that. I think that would be, I think during the building of the pyramids, I would love to have seen like what that was like and what living was like then and how they did it. If I were to be there for like one specific incident, I mean, (laughs) maybe Adam and Eve, was it really Adam and Eve? Was it just two people? And where was the fountain? Like, where was the Garden of Eden? Like, oh, did they just appear? Like, right? I mean, like, interesting. I, I think that would be a fun. I think that would be interesting because I don't. I think I'd just be sitting there watching nothing happen because it's probably, you know, just things in books from that long ago. I mean, right? Shoot, we get the story wrong. if Two people look at the exact same thing happen. There's two different stories. And now you're expecting these stories to get passed down and maybe not get written. Like even the Bible stuff doesn't get written for 30, 40, 50, 60 years after it happened. Like you're telling me they got it verbatim. You're telling me that they didn't get poetic in it. You're telling me there was an interpretation you know, being written. Right. Um, I just think that uh, I think that there was, uh, I think there's probably a lot of stuff that didn't happen exactly like we think it did. That's an interesting one. Do you pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? Um, Yeah, I do. I've always found that and I'd say how I pray has sort of evolved and been confusing at times, even to the point where that's part of my prayers. Like, I'm not sure who to talk to right now, Mm -mm. Um, but uh, to cover them all. Um, (laughs) But uh, but I've always found that there's been incredible power in it and that anything I've really really, really, really p- prayed hard for and wanted will happen. And so I do, I do. And I'm almost like confused why I stop sometimes. I'm um, like, oh man, it's been so long. Like, why did I stop? Like, this is powerful. Yeah. And so I think probably like a big underlying reason why it's so powerful is because you're asking, you're creating your own t- intention. You're, you're allowing yourself to know what you want, right? Like so most people don't even know what they want. They're just true like a passenger in life. Right. And I think that having goals is important. And so so I think that there's just kind of like that manifestation nature of it, especially mm-hmm. if, when you get into prayer, you get into the emotional side of it. This comes I mean, whether it's Tony Robbins or whether it's Joe Dispenza or Bruce Lipton or Greg Braden or, you know, any, yeah. any all brilliant people. people yeah. Minds, They'll tell you that you have to anchor your future by embodying the true feeling, visualizing what you want, anchoring into that future life that you want, whatever it is, and then embodying that feeling and really letting it become a part of you. Yeah, you have to because your mind can't tell the difference from a truth and a lie. So you've been watching the same stuff as me. Watching yeah, yeah. I can tell you watch is by your questions. Um, (laughs) I have like a bookshelf of all this. And by the way, that's my favorite thing to do with my podcast is interview these kinds of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I'm so fascinated with the human experience, with quantum physics, with science, with, you know, manifesting with spirituality and wellness, like all of that stuff. It's the new frontier, right? Because there are right. the previous generations didn't have access to that information. They didn't, and they, they didn't. And I, you know, I mean, I get a little bit on the side, too, of like people repressing it. Like, I think there's been a lot of things that have been repressed over time because the answer to 99 of a hundred times the question why is money? Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen just because someone's making money from it. And so mm-hmm. whether it's wellness or whether it's, um, you know, Nikola Tesla had, Energy figured out, free energy figured out. And then we decided to figure out how we could they could get people to pay for it, right? I mean, even water, it seems silly. Like when I go to the store and I buy a five dollar bottle of water if I'm traveling or something, I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know. So yeah. I mean, they find ways to monetize everything. And yes, they do. And uh, and I think that's you know, it's capitalism, but it's also um short-sighted, you know. So yeah. Anyway, I can't remember what I was rambling on about, but it was uh, probably something about woo-woo-ness. (laughs)
1: Woo-woo-ness. Funny. So let's talk about, because I feel like you have this lifestyle brand that you have ventured into. First of all, tell me a little bit about your passion for wine, why you chose to invest in
2: a a wine company and why you chose to purchase a vineyard. Sure. So I bought a piece of dirt, Mm -hmm. planted it. Made somnium wine. So it started with nothing. And then Danica rose came more recently as an opportunity with some other people and uh, an opportunity to make an authentic rose, which, you know, I've always felt like my brand has been rooted in authenticity. So I felt like that was just so in alignment with me is that, yeah, of course I want to make a rose from Provence. That's where it was born. It's like the birthplace of Rosé. So, but it's really, I mean, the purpose of wine in general, and it's more on my Somnium bottle, but it's about being present with the people that you're with. It's, It's about, you know, I feel like I had a really good example of this when I, it was when the dream to have a winery came the same day, the winemaker opened up a really nice bottle of old wine. And I was like, okay, so, you know, all right. What am I smelling? You know, what is it? He's like, who cares? He's like, like, tell me about something else. And it was like this. I always think about that being a really good rooting and anchoring into the purpose of wine because it was really just about sitting together. It was about right. communicating. It was spending time together. And so... For me, the wine is about that. It's not like the goal is to get people to connect. The goal is to get people to create memories together. It's to tell stories. It's to open up. It's to make memories. It's to have dinner together. It's to sit at the same table together and to also maybe go to Napa and fall in love with the process and, you know, get into nature and fancy farming and and experience what it's like to to make that bottle and how unique every year is and how much goes into every single vintage. And so, but really it's... It's about community and really it's about connecting with the people around you and, you know, setting your phone down and kicking it old style, old school where you talk to each other and spend time together and make a meal. And I just think that, you know, community is again, to say it again, like a hallmark of wellness. And it's, it's absolutely one of the most prevalent things in the blue zones of the world, which is where people live the longest is that people community, there's community and people are together and people sit and eat together. And so, so that's the point. So where can people find Danica Rose?
1: What's the website and what, and I know that it's in retail outlets throughout the country now. So just tell me a little bit yeah. about that.
2: Yeah. Well, Danica Rose, is it Danica Rose wine or Danica Rose? I don't, I'm actually, I, should have... I don't really go to the website very often. So Danica oh, Danicarosewine.com. Perfect. Yes. I have it right Perfect. here. Okay. Um, so they can go to the website and mm-hmm. order it. You know, they can go on our social accounts and check out what's going on and, follow us for times where there's steals, or when there's something coming out or when the vintage is ready. So, and just kind of, you know, get into the lifestyle of it, which is just about, you know, sharing and community and smiling and having a good time. Okay. And which one is your personal favorite from your wines? Oh, well, I mean, Somnium makes four different wines, so we make an estate cab, we make a a regular, uh, another cab that we blend a little bit of Merlot that I don't make on my property, but we use a bunch of property grapes for. So we have two different cabs, a Savignon Blanc and a Rosé, and then the other label, which is Danica Rosé, which is separate and that's grown and made in France. And so, okay. so, you know, I think that the traditional arc of someone that drinks wine is like, they start with white wine, sweet white wine, and then they go to dry white wine, and then they go to red wine and then they come back and start to drink everything. And that's why, <laughs> so it's, you know, I mean, I started, I would say I'm much, I'm, I'm very much a cab girl. Um, So okay. I love, I love, I love Rose Cabernet. Cabernet. Um, But There's a time and a place for all of it. And I do think that Rosé is probably one of the most versatile wines, though. Even people that don't really drink wine tend to enjoy Rosé. So whether you're bringing it to a party or whether you're pouring it for people, it's it goes with food. It's, you know, I think it's very versatile. Perfect.
1: All right. I don't want to keep you, but I want to say thank you so much for an amazingly wonderful
2: interview. Thank you. This was really good. I loved all your questions. So fun when I can get into the deeper stuff. Awesome. Thank okay. you so much Thank Danica. You, See ya. Bye. Uh, so what did you
1: guys think of Danica? I personally think she is part of that rare breed of fearless females who walks in her authentic voice and we need more of that in this world. More women who aren't afraid to simply say what they think. Do you agree? Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. You'll have to let me know. And I really love what she had to say about why she created Somnium Wine, her new winery, which you can learn about, by the way, at somniumwine.com and that info will be in the show notes. We do need to be more community oriented. We do need to slow down and take some time to sit and share a glass of wine and make memories with the people that we love. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you will subscribe, share it with a friend, leave a review with your opinion of this episode. Until next time, peace.